Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. This last week has not been a good one for the president. CNN is suing the Trump administration over the White House credential suspension for the channel's chief White House reporter. The White House official saying of President Trump, quote, he's pissed at damn near everyone, unquote. President Trump facing criticism right now over the decision to skip an event honoring American troops killed in France during World War I, calling off the trip because he could not chopper to it in the rain. The revolving door at the White House is spinning faster tonight. As sources tell CNN, a major staff shakeup is on the horizon. From Mamma Mia, this is Tell Me It's Gonna Be Okay, a podcast about politics and pop culture in a post-Trump world for everyone that's freaking out right now. I'm Mamma Mia co-founder Mia Friedman, and at first glance, like so often in the past two years, I thought there wasn't a lot going on in Trump land this week. However, I was wrong. Joining me in the Mamma Mia podcast studio is not Amelia Lester. She's on holidays in the States, but I have Rachel Corbett. Yes, hello. Head of Mamma Mia podcasts and uh, fellow Trump watcher. Corbs, how are you? I'm not bad. I'm not bad. I want to just check in about how we are both feeling a week after the midterms. I'm quite surprised that I am just completely uninterested and I can't work out whether that's actually because we're technically not finished yet like there's still counts going Mm -hmm. on yes we got the sort of seats that we needed to flip the house that's fantastic so we sort of know what the lay of the land is going to be in the house and the senate so it's not like there's going to be any major surprises but I don't know whether it sometimes it feels in this part of an election any election anywhere it's like a bit of a holding pattern like you completely disengage because you're like oh well wait till after that's all done so I've kind of disengaged. How are you feeling in the lead up to the midterms and on the day itself? Oh, look, I was not obsessively looking over everything and I wondered whether I had that idiotic self-belief which we had going into the actual, like the big election that, oh, I'm sure it will turn out fine. I'm sure the Dems will get those seats. Is that how you felt? Yeah, I did. At the same time, I was sort of self-processing what I was thinking and going, remember the past. This is a dumb way to think. (laughs) This is what we all believed. And I sort of thought there was a small chance that it could happen. But there was part of me that if the Dems didn't flip the house, I was thinking, I'm not sure what the world looks like. And I don't even mean politically. I just mean that then every part of the logic that I understand to be true, it's Mm. all gone. Because... We've all seen what he's like for the yes. last two years. There's no benefit of the doubt. There's no, oh, take him seriously, not literally. We've seen the monster that he is and the havoc that he's wrecking on just not just his own country but on the world and on sort of cultural norms and what's acceptable and just on the definition of a fact. And if everyone went, yeah, I'm cool with that, 
it yeah. was going to be like, which way is up? And also for the Democrats, obviously, because they don't have compulsory voting over there, this was the time, because everybody assumed that Trump wasn't going to win, there were a lot of people that, you know, arguably didn't turn out to vote because they're like, that's never going to happen. Yeah. So this was the demonstration of we know it happens. You guys all hate what's happening there. You want to change. If you do not get off your asses and go, then we're in real strife. So yeah. that was the kind of thing that I was a little bit worried about because if that, the last little couple of years, wasn't enough to encourage people to get out and vote, well, then there's no hope in 2020. It's, you know, that's it. We recorded last week's episode the day after the midterms and results were still coming through. And I think that Amelia and, Amelia and my feelings back then <laughs> – a whole week ago, with that we were both a bit deflated because it didn't seem like there had been a big blue wave. It didn't seem like it had been a resounding rejection of Trump. In fact, they gained seats in the Senate, even though the House was flipped for the Democrats. It now seems that it was more of a blue wave than we thought a week ago. Mm, yeah. and, and that wave keeps getting bigger and bigger as some seats are, are switching and ballots are still being counted. It's taking them a long time. long time, yeah. And there's a, the race in Florida that's forced a recount for the Senate, which now Trump's gone and tweeted that there are missing ballot papers and don't believe the outcome. And it's interesting, I've been watching a bit of stuff that he's doing. I thought he was more sort of off-the-cuff reactionary than I think he actually might be because when I think about certain things – like, you know, putting in place this idea of ballots not turning up or things not being real, there is a part of me that goes, actually, are you just planning for if you don't win in 2020, you've then embedded this narrative enough that you could actually make people believe that maybe the system is rigged or it wasn't your fault, just like you've really established this idea of fake news so deeply that now you're actually able to bat away any kind of embarrassing story or mistake on your part by fake news in a way that nobody previously has been able to do. But he really laid the groundwork on that. So now my thinking is maybe he does have a longer-term view with some of these more strategic plays than I gave him credit for. I think it's probably a bit of both because I know what you mean. It's like how much is the conspiracy and how much is just the delusion that the only narrative Donald Trump can digest is one in which he is always a winner. Mm. And so remember after the 2016 election when he did not win the popular vote and it wasn't enough that he won the presidency, he couldn't abide that narrative and that reality. So even then he was, uh, I think he got Jeff Sessions or someone to um, oversee some committee that looked into voter fraud. It was Mike Pence actually that was looking into voter fraud and he was wildly claiming that Clinton had bust in illegal immigrants to vote. I mean, none of it made any sense because in a country where voting isn't even compulsory, no one's busting their ass to vote. Like no one cares that much. Sorry, not no one, but that's just not going to happen. Yeah. There's not there's not enough self-interest in it. But he was making those wild and unsubstantiated claims and that task force or that inquiry that Mike Pence was set in to oversee was quietly dissolved after a few months because they couldn't find anything. Mm. So I'm wondering how much of it is that he needs to find a narrative, just like the day after he said it was an enormous victory, the best victory ever, some people said it was unprecedented, blah, blah, blah. He has to believe that and, and he has to find a narrative that's acceptable to him and, and gives his base a reason to stick with a winner that is about it was rigged. 
and mm. the, the results aren't real. But what a lot of people are saying is this is the beginning of totalitarianism because when rulers or when uh, leaders start saying, oh, the vote was rigged, I won anyway. Mm. I'm staying in power. Oh, the only truth is the stuff that comes out of my mouth. Yeah. That's the only thing you can and trust. And if I didn't win, then it was rigged mm. and therefore I'm not accepting the result because that's what this is setting up, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. But again, in my mind, I feel like this might be strategic because his early work is paying off later. Like, for example, with the Jeff Sessions resigning, he's one – I mean, I feel like we've been talking about Jeff Sessions is on his way out the door forever. You know, he's never liked the guy. He's always wanted mm. to get rid of him. And all of a sudden he gets rid of him at a time when he needs to change the narrative because he doesn't want to focus on the fact that the Democrats flipped the House or whatever. So all of a sudden, oh, my God, the story of the day is that Jeff Sessions has resigned. In my mind, I'm thinking, did you hold off on that in the chance that maybe in the midterms you – I don't know. Like it just No, my understanding and from everything I've read, he was – advised to hold off until after the midterms because Jeff Sessions is a very long-standing senator with a lot of support, including from Lindsey Graham previously. Lindsey Graham, who's now, you know, pet puppy dog of Donald Trump and is doing everything he can to impress him and is his, like, you know, most loyal defender – just a year or two ago, or probably a year ago when it was first mooted, this idea that Trump was going to get rid of Sessions, said all hell will break loose if Jeff Sessions is sacked. Because let's be clear, he hasn't always hated Jeff Sessions. Mm. Jeff Sessions was the first established uh, politician, Republican politician who was very senior, to climb on board and endorse him. He loved Jeff Sessions. The only time he went sour on him overnight is when he recused himself from the Russia investigation. And let's be very clear, he recused himself because he felt he was compromised. So whatever you think of Jess Sessions, and he's pretty abominable when it comes to his approach to all manner of things, particularly legal immigration, he was doing the right thing. He was doing the thing of integrity, which was to say, I've got a vested interest. I'm not a clean skin. I can't be in charge of something that you know, I'm involved in essentially. So that is the reason because he put his country over his president and and due process over his president, Donald Trump has never forgiven that like a mafia boss. Mm. He felt betrayed and so he is always. And I think people have kind of lost sight of that Mm. because Jeff Sessions didn't particularly do anything wrong. No. He was very popular in his own department by all accounts. But that's the other interesting thing. So there's part of the, like, the the change in the House, which everybody says is, you know, well, now all of a sudden we've got the checks and balances back in place and we can really stop things from happening. But nothing in the preceding two years or even before that has ever indicated that anything we believe to be true around Trump actually ends up being true. Like he's flipped the script on absolutely any, yeah. everything. So I still wonder, I can understand why it's obviously good for the Democrats to have more seats in the House, but something just makes me feel like it's not going to make a difference anyway or the difference that they believe it's going to make. But the thing I'm really interested in is Jeff Sessions' replacement. Tell me about him because yes. there's been a lot of uh, outcry that this guy's so dodgy and so unqualified, even among Republicans. Yes, so he's widely thought of as a bit of a political hack, but I went went looking around because I didn't know a huge amount about him. And while he doesn't inherit 
direct control over the Mueller investigation, he is able to influence it. And there was a really telling interview with him with CNN in 2007 where he was talking about this exact situation hypothetically. And he said, I could see a scenario where Jeff Sessions is replaced with a recess appointment and that Attorney General doesn't fire Bob Mueller, he just reduces his budget to so low that his investigation grinds to almost a halt. Now, isn't that terrifying? Because that's yeah. essentially what he now has the ability to do. And he's some- And will we know if that happens? Yes, we yes, we surely will know if that happens. Because that kind of stuff I don't think would be would remain. You said two thousand and seven, but I assume you meant two thousand and seventeen. Two thousand and seven. So I'm like, wow, he was a futurist. <laughs> <laughs> two thousand and seventeen. Yeah, he didn't That's what he said. Who yes. is he and what where did he come from? What is his story? Oh, he he was um Jeff Sessions chief of staff. Right. Yeah, so he's an attorney and he's done the usual sort of climb up the ladder, but that's where he sort of came from. But he has long been an outspoken person against the Russia investigation. He's long said that the scope is too broad, that there's no way they should be able to get Trump's finances, that that's just too much of an overreach. All of the things that Trump absolutely wants to hear, including the fact that, you know, Donald Trump was right to fire James Comey because he should have prosecuted Hillary Clinton. Like, he's bang into this whole locker-up vibe. He thinks that the Russia investigation is a scam. So if Trump wants to put anybody in that position that, you know, obviously, I, I don't know, this is the way to sort of stop the investigation without without technically stopping the investigation. But we know, you know, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. We know what motivates Donald Trump to put people in positions is not what's good for the country, it's what's good for him. So with Brett Kavanaugh, it's about the fact that Brett Kavanaugh has written a paper or a thesis about how the president should never be able to be impeached. And now this guy, it's said, has been sucking up to Trump for this job for almost two years, ever since it was widely known that that Sessions was on borrowed time. Mm. We finished our episode last week with Amelia and I saying that when Trump is feeling impotent and humiliated, it's a very dangerous time for his staff and for the country and potentially for the world because he lashes out and he needs to find ways to macho himself up. We saw that in the firing of Jess Sessions within hours of the midterms. Then that extraordinary press conference that we touched on last week where he was just prowling around the stage, lashing out at reporters. That's Mr. enough. Mr. President, I that's well, I enough. Ask one of the, the other folks. That's had, enough. Pardon me, ma'am. I'm, I'm, Mr. Excuse President. me. That's enough. I'll tell you what, CNN should be ashamed of itself having you working for them. You are a rude, terrible person. After that, Jim Acosta from CNN was banned from the White House. CNN have since launched a legal challenge to that, saying it breaches Jim Acosta's First Amendment right to cover the presidency. What do you make of all of that? Is Again, is everyone just falling into his hands by changing the narrative into enemy of the people? Hmm. And making CNN the enemy to distract from the Republicans' failure and the rejection of Trump that we just saw? That felt to me less strategic and more like him just lashing out in the moment. I'm interested to see where, because this lawsuit does make total sense. Like you can't just can somebody's press credentials because they said something that you didn't like. And worse, they doctored footage because what, yes. what was frightening about this is that I wasn't across this enough last week, but what happened is that the Sarah Sanders released a video clip which was 
um, proven to be doctored and said that Jim Acosta laid his hands on a young intern and they will not accept that at the White House. Oh, yes, the White House will not accept anyone laying their hands on a young woman without their consent, except, you know, the boss. Mm. Anyway, the press conference went out live. So what's disturbing about this is that everybody saw what happened and he, he actually said, uh, I'm so sorry, ma'am. He called this young intern ma'am. He was holding the microphone. It was in full view of a room full of reporters and it was live streamed on every network and over the internet. And yet the White House doctored this footage and put it out and said, no, it's not white, it's black. And that's why we're doing it. Now, that's pretty scary. That is some North Korea shit. Yeah. Like, that is terrifying. But what is even more terrifying is that it becomes a story and then disappears. Like, yeah. the fact that in any other presidency, if they had have released footage that was doctored to try and make it f- look like somebody had abused some, like, it doesn't even, mm-hmm. my head doesn't even work enough to come up with an opinion. <laughs> it's, the, it's the arrogance of that. It's the, it's the absolute brazen shamelessness of yes. it. Like we can do whatever we want. But it's also the groundwork of fake news coming into play again because even when they are creating the fake news, a fake news of fake news can make it feel like the reporting on the video that was yeah. doctored is fake news so the actual event yes. in the middle didn't exist. So this is where all of this sort of groundwork really ends up almost brainwashing an entire group of people. Plus there's so much stuff like the media can't keep up. And at the centre, if the person just seems like, yes, he's lashing out at people and he's yelling at Theresa May on the phone who's rung up to congratulate him or whatever else he's doing, but he's not f- looking mortally wounded in the way that we expect people who've done wrong to look mortally wounded. So I feel like for a general public who still are a bit impressionable or don't really look too too much into it, he doesn't look like the type of dude that's done anything wrong. So why am I going to believe that he's done something wrong? Because I know what somebody doing something wrong looks like. It looks like contrition. It looks like I'm apologising. Yeah, it looks right. like I'm ashamed. It looks like all of these things w- that we're seeing no evidence of. So for people who are still able to be convinced or, or aren't looking that deeply. Or getting their news from Fox. Or getting their news from Fox. Why in God's name would I think that Trump has anything to be ashamed of? He doesn't behave in any manner like I'm... U- like the, what I'm used to seeing. Yeah, it's like I, it's the Bart Simpson defense. I didn't do it. Yeah. Or I know you are, but I, I like, know you are, but what am I? Yeah, it's like, oh, okay, all right, I, nothing to see here. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move, and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. There are two pieces um, in the Washington Post that I will draw your attention to that I thought were very interesting this week. One is an opinion piece by Jennifer Rubin, one of my favourite writers for the Washington Post, and it's called Trump is Cracking. Woohoo! And <laughs> he's been busy in this in this last week. He, um, after he fired Jeff Sessions, banned Jim Acosta, sent out doctored footage ranted and raved at the press, like calling particularly a number of African-American reporters, including April Ryan, horrible names like Stupid Loser, which is just shocking. 
He then went to France along with most world leaders to commemorate the end of World War I. And it didn't go very well. President Trump facing criticism right now over the decision to skip an event honoring American troops killed in France during World War I, calling off the trip because he could not chopper to it in the rain. His performance in Europe was widely panned and the highlight of which I think or the low light for him was when he didn't attend commemorative ceremony at a cemetery and there were shots of all the other world leaders in the rain, including Prince Harry. They were all there getting rained on. And as it's been pointed out, you know, the diggers didn't just down tools when there was a little bit of drizzle. But according to Trump, the Secret Service said that because there was light rain and fog, he couldn't go um, by helicopter and um, the motorcade would take quite a long time because it was 50 miles away from Paris where he was staying at the ambassador's residence. So he said, right, I'm not going. That didn't go down very well. Did everybody else drive from Paris? Yes, I think right. so. Some may have got helicopters, but right. everyone else got there. Let's just put yeah. it this way. Everyone else <laughs> managed to get their asses to the cemetery to remember the fallen soldiers, except for Donald Trump. Now, there's another great story in, in the Washington Post this week by a couple of reporters. It's one of those kind of behind the scenes, which is my favourite kind of Trump story, which talks about the last five days and what, they, what they've been like and how he went to, uh, he flew out of Washington to Paris. Theresa May called him on the plane. He screamed to, to congratulate him mm-hmm. in quote marks, which is just one of those things that you have to do as a world leader. And he just screamed at her. By all accounts, her people, his people just said he just screamed at her about Iran, about Brexit, about all manner of things and didn't release any details of that conversation, uh, but they've since come out. And then he got to Paris. He felt very disconnected. He spent his all his time glued to the TV, watching the the recounts and the, the ballots coming through and seeing that this democratic wave was, was bigger than what first thought and becoming more and more agitated. Then when I'm not going to the cemetery, then when he found out, saw that he was getting panned on Twitter and in the media, he blew up at his advisors for not warning him that it would be a PR disaster. I mean, of all the things that you can pretty much, even if you're a dumb-dumb workout, is going to be a PR disaster. It's not turning up to a cemetery to commemorate fallen soldiers. Like, that is just... Especially when you didn't go to... You you dodged the draft a number of times for bone spurs. Oh, good Lord. In Jennifer Rubin's piece, she mentions how when Trump is weak, humiliated and cornered, he really lashes out. And, And she lists some of the reasons why he's weak, humiliated and cornered. His performance in Europe was panned. The election results get worse for Republicans with each passing day. His great North Korea diplomacy has been a disaster. He was actually outplayed in that. There are two Middle East problems, Iran and out-of-control Sunni despots who now think, not unreasonably, that they can lead Trump around by the nose. He's not winning the trade war. Mueller plows ahead with possibly more indictments, including Donald Trump Jr. Obamacare is here to stay with no possibility of repeal, and it's actually growing in popularity. And most interestingly, Trump's finances are no longer protected from scrutiny, nor are his daughter and son-in-laws. Mm. How do you reckon he's going to go under pressure and what do you think is going to happen next? I was wondering whether the resignation of Jeff Sessions and appointing somebody who is very pro him is a way to sort of plug a hole because we know that the Democrats in the House are going to try and get all of the records and the crap and turn up a lot of junk. And so maybe he's trying to just cut the source off of another area where he might, you know, there might be a lot of stuff that bubbles to the surface. 
Um, I, he's obviously, I think, going to keep on throwing people off the scent. The other thing that I found really interesting about his visit in Europe was Macron, one of the things that he came at Macron for saying was that he was talking about Macron saying that they need an army to protect against the US. And apparently it was a bit of a miscommunication in the translation of the French to English. And what he said was that he needs to protect against the US and China for cyber attacks and things. And then later on in the speech, he started talking about it, the, the armies and he actually said that they need to rely less on the United States, which is always something Trump has been very into, this idea of not being um, the world's police. But obviously the reporter, that was what was in the media, which we know is where Trump gets his information, not from the people who brief him who might have a bit more expertise in, say, French. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, so he's come out and started tweeting about how ridiculous uh, Macron is and and given fire for, for those comments, even though it was a translation issue. Now... That makes him, in my mind, look like a dumb, dumb idiot who doesn't, you know, doesn't listen to briefings and stuff. There's a part of me that thinks, I don't know if you've listened to the Slow Burn podcast about the Watergate scandal. No, I listened to the second season about Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. Yes. Yeah, so there's there's some interesting similarities in this state about the what was known as the Saturday Night Massacre um, during the Watergate scandal where, similarly to what's kind of happening here, Nixon basically tried to get an attorney general to fire the chief prosecutor who was investigating the scandal and he hired people. They wouldn't do it. They quit. They, you know, similar kind of stuff that's going on with the whole Jeff Sessions thing, wanting to try and um, get rid of the Mueller investigation. So I'm really interested. That's what's really interesting me and where I'm training my eyes. I want to see what happens there mm-hmm. because during the Watergate scandal, eventually the prosecutor was fired. What ended up flipping things was that there were like 50,000 telegrams from people saying this is ridiculous the um, Congress you know put a whole bunch of resolutions forward and eventually he had to instate somebody else and that ended up leading to the tapes coming out and whatever I feel like if ultimately if if Mueller's investigation is stopped or he's fired or something like something's got to happen on the other side of this that will be the catalyst for shit going down. Because he's talking about a lot of changes among staff. Like he's been grumbling about wanting to fire Kristen Nielsen, who is the Homeland Secretary, who used to be John Kelly's 2IC. And John Kelly's been trying to stand up for her. But it's thought that maybe he's going to get rid of both of them and use this as an opportunity to get rid of both of them. So, you know, he can shuffle the deck chairs on Mm. the Titanic, I guess. But the truth is that he's not all powerful anymore. And I think that one of the hardest things for Donald Trump to reconcile since becoming president is firstly that everybody doesn't love him because he saw that how popular Obama was and he thought, well, that just comes with the gig, right? The the universal respect and admiration of everybody. And the other thing he's shocked about is that he doesn't have complete omnipotent power mm. over everything. And mm. there are, there's shit that he just can't change and mm. shit that he can't avoid, particularly now that he's not in control of the House. So I agree. It will be very, very interesting to see what happens. And I think all eyes on Mueller because he has really been very careful to avoid the October surprise aspect, unlike Comey, so that he cannot be accused of being in any way. That would have just played into the Republicans' hands and Trump's hands of saying that he's political, politically motivated. So he's been very, very quiet in the lead up to the midterms. But now, whatever he's got going on, I hope the next person subpoenaed, uh, indicted is Donald Trump Jr. Oh, what a weasel.
Well, a lot of them. <laughs> it's just the biggest shit show. <laughs> Are you listening to as much as you used to, reading no. as much as you used to? No. Me neither. It's, to be honest, like, um, it just got all a bit samey and weedsy and yeah. I just sort of, uh, I just kind of lost interest. I suppose when you're, when things aren't working, like, your, your brain just can't compute how things are working because it's so relentless and the the crap doesn't end up getting it, like Trump doesn't end up getting any comeuppance. There's or, no, no resolution. Yeah, there's no resolution. So you just feel like you're at that yeah. sort of act two of a, of a movie all the time Stuck. and there's no act three that comes yeah. to the other side. So yeah. it's a very unnatural feeling, I think. And eventually at some point, because it's not our country, even though it does affect us greatly, yeah. there is a tendency to step back and go, oh, I'm getting my head out of this because it's just, it's just not going anywhere and it's making me feel like a crazy person. I agree. And also just despairing. Well, thank you for getting your head back into it this week. Bloody pleasure. And uh, I'll see you on the bonus. All right, bye. Bye. If you're wondering what to listen to next, can I recommend you check out another podcast from Mamma Mia? One close to my heart is called No Filter. On No Filter each week, I have a candid conversation with someone who has a story to tell, and it might be one that you haven't heard, even if you know the person. This week, it's the barefoot investor, Scott Pape. I never really wanted to be famous. What I'm passionate about is helping people with their money and, and single parents and people who are doing it tough and people who are less fortunate than us. You can find my No Filter interview with Scott Pape wherever you get your podcasts or go to mamamia.com.au and click on Listen. Tell Me It's Going to Be Okay is brought to you by Mamma Mia and the producer of this episode is Eliza Ratliff and Luca Levine. <laughs> 